0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Loaded show for you today, I'm excited for it. It is week two of Miami. I'm gonna talk to Alex Gruskin about some of the storylines that have emerged. Uh, We're gonna hit on Felix and Dennis, Medvedev Tsitsipas-Zverev and where the three of them are at in comparison to each other. Taylor Fritz, once again, still alive. And uh, Sinner versus uh, Alcaraz, which is a, a longstanding conversation between Gruskin and I. But I do want to start with just a couple of observations I want to throw your way on week one. Um, as you can tell by my coverage, it, you know I haven't been able to put full attention on Miami. Uh, but here's kind of what I have picked up along the way. Starting with Kyrgios Rublev, which is a result that ruffled a lot of feathers early in the week. Uh, Kyrgios is still alive, and he'll play Yannick Sinner. He's actually favored in the uh, betting market against Yannick Sinner. So Nick has kind of continued what we saw last week at Indian Wells, which is, I, I would say, a positive thing, especially physically. It-, it has looked like his knees have bothered him at points this week, but ultimately he's held up. He's serving unbelievably well. Uh, And he's still keeping up the intensity and putting a lot of effort on the court into winning tennis matches. But I want to talk about what we saw tactically in that match, which is a complete disrespect by Nick Kyrgios of Andre Rublev's second serve. Tactical disrespect. Because Nick Kyrgios, if he was standing any closer in, in on his return position, he would have been hitting half volleys, which you obviously don't want. Nick was standing solidly somewhere in between the service line and the baseline. And taking that much time away, and you got to remember the serve as a technique, it takes a long time to kind of get out of your motion after landing on your left foot if you're a righty and then kind of coming back down to your split step position, it, it takes some time. When someone is taking that much time away, you are going to feel like the ball is on you in a split second. And the amount of time away that Nick was taking away from Rublev was going to make it impossible For Andre to win second serve points. It was 6-3-6 love. So we didn't get a a large sample size here because it was so one-sided. But Rublev was 4 of 19 on second serve points. I'm just going to use the Google machine to confirm that I'm remembering that correctly. I remember 4 of 19 on second serve points. And... Let's see, I'm getting 25% win percentage, uh, but I know he won four. So was it four of 20 and then they rounded? Something like that. I think it might have been four of 20 actually. Well, first of all, from Rublev's perspective, he's played a lot of tennis recently. He went deep to the semifinal at Indian Wells. That transition is no joke. It is not easy initially, if you go deep in Indian Wells, to just adjust to Miami. Now, you do get a couple of days off, and this match was, I want to say Thursday. Uh, it was Thursday at the earliest, so Andre you know, would have had some time, but I do expect that players who go deep in Indian Wells might run into a roadblock or a buzzsaw in their first match back in Miami. The air is completely different. Even if the conditions, which I'll get to later, are similar, the the air is completely different, and that makes a big difference. So the loss in itself is not crazy bad for Rublev. What's worse is just how he lost with uh, the way Kyrgios absolutely punished his second serve in a way that is not new. We've seen it before. It was a key for Taylor Fritz as well. But I just want to talk about what Rublev can do about this. Because obviously, this is a huge problem. He's not going to beat top players on a consistent basis unless his second serve gets better. No hesitation in that statement on my end. He will not Beat top players unless that shot gets better. I don't care what happens in the rest of his game. It's not going to happen because he's getting attacked to the point where he's not going to be winning a acceptable number of second serve points against players with the talent of Curios and Fritz who have the hand skills to execute that and who have backhands, good enough backhands that they're able to execute that. Rublev kicks it to the backhand. That's the serve that, you know, 80% Of second serves by righties to righties. That's the second serve you're going to see. That's Rublev's second serve. But it's 80 miles per hour on average. And that's slow. What he really needs against someone who's trying to return that way against him. Is a 90 mile per hour second serve to the body. That's what you do. Or you know in the case of the better second servers it would be 100. But let's baby steps here. You get it up to 90 miles per hour, you serve it to the body, and Kiros is going to get jammed, and he's going to have to move back. We see what Nadal does on the second serve against Kiros. He stands close in. Nadal hits body, second serves. That's what to do. When someone crowds the box, when someone hits you with that kind of return position, super aggressive, super shallow, uh, that's what you do. You serve body. Because there's not going to be time for them to get out of the way of the ball. If you serve kick backhand to someone standing up there. Well the angle's going to get cut off. You're not going to stretch them out. And you're not going to get it over their shoulders. Up high like you want on a kick serve. Because they're taking the ball on the rise. So early it's never going to get above the shoulder. So by serving out wide. When Nick is standing there. You're not doing anything. You are not doing tactically what has a chance to work. The plan B, maybe plan C, right? Plan A is kick to the backhand. Plan B is go to the body. Plan C is perhaps develop a slower slice serve as your second serve to at least keep the contact point a little bit lower, which can make for an awkward return to attack. Most famously, This is kind of Andy Murray's second serve. It's not a kicker. It's a slicer. It's a little bit slow, but at least it stays low. That's a lot better than a slow kick serve, which is going to sit up like a meatball. If Rublev wants to, you know, if Rublev has trouble to get those miles per hour up, well, then maybe he can hit a slice serve instead. It's going to at least stay lower and be a little bit more difficult to to attack. Right now, second serves is sitting duck and Kyrgios was able to take advantage of that. Last night, uh, Titipas played Alex D and the matchup went exactly how uh, we've seen it go uh, in the early stages of this head-to-head. It is now a uh, tour only. It's now 8-0 in favor of Titi Titipas. And just watching the match last night, I, I do have a couple of thoughts on why that is. Titi Pas's defense, and yes, this court is slow— and I think it's safe to say everybody could look at this matchup and know that Alex is going to need a fast court to do well. That aside, how does Demonor attack? He attacks by taking the ball early and changing direction down the line. He attacks the way players attack when they don't hit a very fast and heavy ball. Which, by the way, can can... Really lean into his forehand. You might say, Gil, I watched the match. He hit a bunch of really big forehands. He can only do that. Demonor can only hit his forehand really, really big when he is stationary. When he gets plenty of time to load up and set his feet and really lean into it. Put all his body weight into the forehand. When that is the case, he, he can hit a pretty hard forehand. But in general, Demonor uses time and geometry. Time and width. Takes the ball early, cross court angles, redirections down the line. It's not weight of shot. It's just not how D. constructs offense. And that's by necessity, he's a smaller guy. I just think against CT Pass's defense, Steph, incredibly fast player, subpar to average pace absorption. If you want to make inroads on Stefano Tsitsipas offensively, the best way to do that is going to be able to, is going to be to hit very, 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 very heavy to his backhand side, really. And make him absorb that pace on his backhand. I just didn't feel like Demonor, who hit a lot of backhands down the line that just were, I mean, they did nothing. In fact, they were counterproductive because Tsitsipas' defense into that corner is just so good, and his counterattacking out of that corner is so good. His backhands down the line, they were just a net negative, and it just didn't feel like he could get the forehand down the line going either without much weight of shot. It just wasn't attacking the right parts of Tsitsipas' defense. Because on a hard court, sometimes you feel like Steph is not great defensively. He's not breaking serve. He is losing neutral rallies against elite players. Sometimes you feel that way. But then sometimes you feel like his defense is incredible. Like last night. He looked awesome, by the way, all around. I, I will say that. But sometimes it looks like his defense is incredible. Sometimes it looks like it's vulnerable. What's going on here? To me, what's going on is some players can bother Steph with pure power and weight of shot, which actually works against Tsitsipas. And I talk all the time about how you're not going to hit the ball hard enough to bother Medvedev or Djokovic or Zverev. I talk all the time about that. Tsitsipas is the opposite. You can bother him with how hard you're hitting the ball. You can't bother him by using the width of the court because he's so fast. He's going to defend really well. So that's what I see in that head-to-head. Um... I also want to shout out Yannick Sinner, who uh, we are going to hit on with Gruskin. To me, showing champions' qualities. Now, it's hard to judge exactly how good Sinner has been in 2022. It is difficult because he's 0-2 against top 15 players. But he's got a tremendous record overall in 2022. His only other loss is against... Nick Kyrgios. He's 15 and two in 2022, but that should be a three. So I don't know why tennis abstract is giving me a two there. Uh, he should be 15 and three. Oh, it's cause it was a walkover. It's cause it was a walkover. That's why. Okay. It is 15 and two. Um, I guess I just thought of that as, you know, obviously he got sick and had to pull out. um, So yeah, a loss to Titi Pass and a loss to Herkach, but he's had a good season. I just want to say, last three matches against Benjamin Bonzi in Indian Wells, a match that I was at. He was dizzy, he was sick, whatever was going on with with whatever he was battling at Indian at Indian Wells. It was in that match where you kind of saw it for the first time, and just kind of recovered physically and a real gritty performance with less than his best. He was able to beat Bonzi in that third set when he was looking down and out in the second. Emil Rusivori was playing awesome, and Sinner saves match points against Rusivori. And then Carreño Busta in the previous round saves match points in the second, down 5-2 in the third, still wins the match. Three matches in a row now, Sinner has plenty of reasons to tap out, to call it quits, to bend over, and he just hasn't done it. And the expressiveness on the court that he's showing is night and day. And he got this crowd in Miami. I thought they were playing in Rome. I'm still a little bit confused about why the crowd was so intensely behind Yannick Sinner. Literally confused. Because it's Miami. It's not Rome. But it literally was like Rome out there. And Yannick has, is bringing a certain level of compete and intensity and tenacity And the resilience that he's shown in the last three rounds, I think that deserves a shout-out. That's champion's qualities. That's a championship quality right there for Yannick Sinner. Last thing, I want to end on the conditions. What's going on here? Uh, I thought the tournament was going to play way quicker than it has. I think it's played quicker in the past. It seems to me like he's slowed it down, uh, or that they've slowed it down. Uh, We've we've heard Medvedev vocal about the court speed. Uh, I just think in rally... It's looked very slow. I think we, we have seen some effective serving, but in rally, it's been hard to hit through this court. And uh, I do think it's slowed down. I'm not sure why, but Cale uh, Hammond, who is uh, running a uh, a betting advice media outlet on his own, CaleHammondBets.com, uh, he talks to some players, and they have talked about the ball, the Dunlop ball that is just fluffing up a lot. So his angle is that it is fast enough when the balls are new, but these Dunlop balls, something about either the balls or the, or the court and the way those two are interacting, the balls are getting so fluffed up so quickly that at the end of ball changes, these balls are going nowhere. And maybe that's why we've seen so many insane comebacks. Uh, the Yannick Sinner comeback against Cranio Busta is one. And um, we even saw one yesterday with Jensen Brooksby coming back from 4-love down in the third set against Roberto Bautista Agut. We have seen some crazy comebacks. Perhaps that is because the serve is really being nullified at the end of ball changes. So slower conditions than I thought. Obviously, the humidity is going to play into that, and it's going to get physical out there. And um, something to keep in mind as we move on through the tournament is that this is not the fast hard court tournament that I thought it was. Before we get to Alex Gruskin, I want to give a quick shout out to our friends at play your Court, the place to go if you're looking for a local coach, practice partner, or match. In fact, the number one reason people stop playing tennis is because they can't find anyone to play with, which is silly. I don't want that to happen to you, so I've arranged a 60%, sorry, 50% off discount for you to join the Player Court community at the link below. It'll be in the description. PlayYourCourt.com backslash GilGross for 50% off to join PlayYourCourt. We're joined once again by Alex Gruskin of Cracked Rackets, editor-in-chief who doesn't edit, uh, p- host of three podcasts. Uh, the place to be for college tennis, by the way. You probably know that uh, if you are a college tennis fan, but I will throw that out there. Um, thanks for uh, coming on once again. You are on time and, and ready to go and you're decked out. I mean, what's the occasion here?
1: Well, slight correction. I do edits in the- sense that I make the notes of hey super producer Daniel Westhoff you may want to edit this segment off now ultimately he makes that decision and usually (laughs) we never cut anything uh but there is at least the note process that's done uh why am I formally decked out because I had to interview a college tennis coach this morning and I was like I should put on a collared shirt if I'm not going to shave I seriously considered shaving for the Monday match analysis YouTube comment section because they are my favorite comment section and my favorite people in all of tennis outside of our rackets fans of course um but i didn't and here i am today raggedy as ever blurry screen indicative of the haze i've been in since this college tennis season started nevertheless it's the second half of sunshine swing it is always a pleasure to be here to talk some tennis with you
0: yeah uh they they will let you know what what they think uh i wore like a shirt that was a basketball jersey and it was cut like a little bit lower on my chest and I did get analysis on my chest hair uh, in, <laughs> in in the comments. So Tuesday or,
1: YouTube chest analysis, that's a good show. Is that yeah. a follow-up on the channel? That's season <laughs> it three. Be.
0: It might be. Uh, l- lack thereof, actually. Let's <laughs> well, start with- I've
1: seen the numbers when you talk anything but Djokovic. So like, you might as well branch out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's start Uh We got to start with Felix- Uh, and you can interrupt me if I'm off here, but, but for the, the audience, uh, we have obviously been talking about Felix, you and I for a couple of years now. And I feel like I've, I was on the negative train a little bit because I didn't see him getting any better. And it was, you know, I was concerned about that and you, you know, you've always been confident that Felix will arrive. You know, it will happen for him. He's on his way. There's no reason to panic about the career of FAA. And at the start of this year, I did a total 180 on it, or I don't know if it's a 180, but I started to drink the Kool-Aid in a big way. Phenomenal from the start, ATP Cup, Australian Open with the five-set loss to Medvedev that I thought was a great loss, wins that first title, Rotterdam, makes the final the next week in Marseille. I come into the Sunshine Double. I picked him to The Indian Wells final, reluctantly, because I knew the conditions wouldn't be great for him. And then more confidently picked picked him to win Miami. He's 0-2. Yeah. He, he, he went 0-2 at the Sunshine Double. He loses to Botik von De at Indian Wells, a loss that I didn't think was so bad. Then he loses to Miramir Kechmanovich in his first match in Miami. What are we to make of this at this point?
1: It's you know all my TV references are lost on you, but and in an HBO season you know there are usually eight episodes and eight is episode six, seven's where the season peaks or it's ten episodes episode seven, eight, nine where things peak and then things calm down by ten. This is like a really bad episode four. This Sunshine Swing. <laughs> for Felix where you're like, yeah, you know, he's still got the three slams to make up for it. Right. And the low hanging fruit from a rankings perspective, because he's got a lot of slam points to defend in the back half of the season. He has really nothing to defend here in the clay court season. So I don't think it's time to panic. I will forever think the heaviness of his serve, his forehand, the weight of that shot should be more effective on clay than the results thus far in his career at the ATP level have dictated I'm not hitting the panic button yet because I always think it's important to frame the Felix discussion in the fact that he is younger than Sebastian Corda and like two months older than Jensen Brooksby. And if you're asking me to compare the career trajectories of guys at the same age between those three, I think we would agree unequivocally Felix would be number one, you can quabble between you know. I just to work in the college tennis ties one more time. Jensen Brooksby obviously spent half a semester, the COVID half of the semester at Baylor. The amount of times Baylor men's tennis head coach, Michael Woodson and I get into a debate about Corda versus Brooksby. I would say it's like a third of our conversations. Like anytime <laughs> there's a Brooksby result, he's like, what do you think about this now? And I'm like, all right, let's relax. Um, the point being when you frame it like that, Felix has accomplished so much at, you know, age what? He's 21 now, and he doesn't turn 22 until August of this year. At the same time, at a certain point, you wonder, because we know what the – Early on, the fear is Felix becomes a one-dimensional, right? When the serve, when the forehand are clicking, he hits them at a level as good as anyone else. You look yep. over the past 52 weeks, he's top 20 in hold percentage. That number keeps improving. The break percentage gets better, even if it's not a top 25 number now, but it's been flirting with it. At the same time, I mean, you watched the Kasmanovic match. The ball got on Felix's shoulder, and he just wasn't able to play aggressive front foot tennis, and he really didn't have a second or a third gear to turn to. And that just happens frequently. Like, my, why I stay stock up on Felix is because there's five people on the, in the world who can play the sort of aggressive front foot tennis that he's capable of playing. The problem is, and I don't remember if it was you who made this comparison or someone on my show, is the best comparison for Felix's game, Matteo Berrettini, is that the comparison we should be making? Like the ceiling for Felix is a slightly better Berrettini, which is a hell of a player, but like, is that the game model? He should be crafting it where it's just double down big serve, big forehand. That's my game style.
0: He's, he's just too good an athlete to, yeah. for that to be the best course of action. And that's the, the massive difference between Felix and Mateo is Felix is, can be one of the best movers in the world. He's just not one of the best defenders I, in the world. I,
1: disagree with that. I don't know if I agree with that from a move. Is he that fluid? Like does he have no. the fluidity of the Medvedevs of the, you know, the Zverevs and obviously some of the the demon hours of the world? I I don't think he No,
0: does. no. He's not he's not in the top 1%, but he's in the top 5 to 10%, I think for sure, especially okay. in quickness. And I know I know it doesn't always look great like he's not he he doesn't defend that well, but from a from a speed perspective, I think he's as mobile as as really it gets, besides I, maybe besides those like top game. five kind of guys.
1: So let's play this game and let's assume if we're saying top ten, top five percent of top one hundred players, because with all due respect, there are some outstanding movers who are better than Felix outside the top one hundred, but if we play that game, it gets too big. I think I can make name ten better movers than Felix pretty quickly. I'm going to go through my head. You tell me yes or no because I think I can get to this list. Obviously, <laughs> okay. I think Demon Hour is yes. an exceptional. Francis Tiafo. Uh Ooh.
0: they're similar. They're okay. similar. I, you know, I, I mean, dis-
1: I think there's a fluidity to Tiafo in and out of corners that Felix backhand side doesn't have. All right, we'll put we'll put Tiafo aside for a second, but that's interesting. Okay. Okay. Demon hours are for sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Medvedev. Yes. Okay, that's an easy three. I mean, uh, Schwartzman. Can I?
0: Can I help? Yeah, Schwartzman for sure.
1: Okay, four. Yeah, help me.
0: Yeah, Djokovic.
1: Five. Duh. Al- I can't believe I didn't say. J- sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Listen, that was so stupid of me. The fastest
0: Djokovic, man in the world right now, yeah. Car- Carlos Alcaraz.
1: Six. Correct. Six. I would say Zverev, if we're being honest.
0: Yeah, I think similar. The speeds. size,
1: yeah, but the S- size component as well yeah. is what gives Zverev the edge. Sure. So that's seven, eight. Tommy Paul.
0: Yes. It's
1: okay, so that's nine. Is I don't know how you don't have Francis above Felix. I'm like baffled that that was that that was a fun pause. You you stumped me for a second. I'm a little my mind went. Phew. Look. Um, but okay, so it's not a definitive thing. Oh, this is great! And by the way, I did not expect the opening to be Felix. I thought for sure we were gonna go American Men, or that you know everyone's twenty six and younger. Alex, this is your fantasy, and we start with Felix. All this to say, I, I the glass is still half full because we saw what he was capable of at the Australian Open. We saw what he was capable of in New York at Wimbledon. And to your point about him as a mover. I don't know if he's a top 10 mover, but from a physicality standpoint, the combination of movement and strength, I agree with you. He's top 10% in that category. And I agree with you that in the three out of five set format, I think that matters that much more. And that's where he shines. And that's why it's still glass half full for me.
0: Right. He's in amazing shape. He moves well enough to be someone who can play at all levels, defense, neutral offense, right? So what's the angle here on the 0-2 Sunshine Double? I think there's there's a couple things from my perspective. First of all, the surface is slowed down. And, you know, you talk about Felix's serve in his forehand and how often are players able to get past that initial attack uh, of the Felix serve plus one. And the slower the conditions, the more frequent players are going to be able to get past that and get into those rallies. And Felix is still not an elite player from neutral. He's just he doesn't win rallies against the very best players in the world. Now he still should be able to in my opinion, certainly against Ketsmonovic and Von De However, I will also say the second angle of this, so the first thing is the surface is slow down. So are we still looking at Felix as a fast court player and that's why at the start of 2022 with what we saw in Australia Maybe it just gave us a certain idea of what he was going to be this season. And in reality, there's still a conditions factor. The second thing that I'd like you to weigh in on, we're talking about 96 player draws with 32 seats. Vonda Zanskulp and Kechmanovic, first match, mm-hmm. both times. Are those two top 40 right mm-hmm. now? Are they both top 40?
1: Yes. That so- is super unlucky. Yes, you're absolutely correct, I would say it's twofold for Felix a you're right the conditions the slowing down of the surface when it's just not as easy for him to hit through the court and by the way I apologize i'm looking up. Every so often that's because on my monitor, then I've had some laptop issues that's where I see the zoom so if I'm not looking directly at the camera I do apologize. I'm also again intimidated by this Monday match analysis crew I guys I know you're going to come after me for everything I do in all the right ways. Um, I would say for Felix. A so you know I like to make lists. And you go to our friends at Tennis Abstract, you can look at their stats leaderboard. It has the leaders in hold percentage, break percentage amongst top 50 players. There are eight players in 2022 who rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. Mirmir Kasmanovich is one of them. He has been unequivocally one of the five most improved players of 2022. He's off to, I would argue, one of the 10, 15 best seasons of the year thus far as well. One of the, what, few guys who makes round four in both Indian Wells and here in Miami. It's a testament to how consistently he's played, how well he's played. He got the ball up on Felix's shoulder. And so where I would, again, disagree with you is I don't think Felix plays poorly on at neutral. I think it's when people... Can, you know, again, it's when he has to play defensive tennis. It's when he's not on his front foot. It's when he's not inside or momentum moving forward into the court. I don't know if I would describe that as neutral. The other take I would have wait, so
0: when he's not moving forward and attacking, no, because,
1: because I think to him, a neutral ball sets up the attack. Like I think when his, to me, neutral is his feet are set. When his feet are set, he's fine. Like he could exchange forehand to forehand, to anyone if he knows cross courts the pattern that's coming. I, I don't worry about him. Right. Uh, we don't. Better.
0: We don't need to split hairs on this. But t- to me, any yeah. any any time he's in a position where he, you know, the ball's unattackable, he cannot attack. That is yeah. neutral.
1: Okay. In that sense, then yes, I do agree with you. The other thing, and this is. I, I think the more tennis I watch, sometimes the dumber I feel because, you know, early on, you get so excited. You're like, I can see the nuances. I can see all the little takes. My hot take coming out of the Sunshine Swing is that Felix just served really poopily. Like, it was a poopy performance on serve. He made, what, 52% of his first serves against Vandesen Sculp. He loses that match 7-6, 6-7, 6-3. It's a poopy serving performance <laughs> yesterday. He made 58.6% of his first serves over the last 52 weeks. He's at 62 and a half percent. That's just not good enough. Like, And his
0: second serve was very bad against catch
1: I prefer the term poopy, but bad works as well. Yeah. It's just like, because he wants to be the aggressor front foot. Tennis is so important. He needs to serve. Well, he didn't in the sunshine swing, like, Sometimes I know that's really I come here for analysis and you're just telling me he served poorly, but with all the analysis we've said, with the margins being a little thinner for him, because you know, plans B, C, and D aren't that exceptional, he has to serve well. He didn't in the sunshine swing. Yes, that that indicates some of the other things he needs to get better on, but that's why I'm not hitting the panic button yet either.
0: Okay. So I think we've fleshed that out nicely. Uh, Shapovalov, just because they're kindred spirits, uh, I will. I will mention. You know, he's also had a disappointing sunshine double uh, going. Uh, Can one we in- do
1: the big three power rankings real quick? Sorry, I didn't mean. What to, What do you mean? Interrupt. What do you mean? The big, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? The big three. three? A, so first of all, season six of Three a Tennis Show is going to be the new big three, which will be Elkaraz Sinner, FAA, because that's just where we're going to be at that point. Um, if we're doing the power rankings right now. I think if you were to ask me after Australia, it would probably have been. Ooh, it would have been really close. I think right now everyone has to have Carlos number one in that power ranking, and then man, was it fun watching Sinner escape against Correia Busta. I mean, is Felix now number three in the big three rankings?
0: It, it's yeah, exactly. It's tight between him and Sinner, and
1: Alcaraz is starting to stretch the lead.
0: He is. He's but, got the you Ferrari. Know, anyway, I'm, this year I'm he's not just flying on these fastest laps. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite ready to to make the call between FAA and Center right now. I still feel like we're getting engaged. I want to see more. Um, I'd love to see some clay court tennis yeah. uh, for sure. So okay, but yeah, no, I think that's we can something agree.
1: You say often.
0: It is something I've, I say often. I
1: want to see clay court. Does anyone actually like? I, you know what? Yes. That's actually not true. There are times when I really like clay court tennis. There are other times where I'm like, just stab me in the chest,
0: please.
1: <laughs> like, you know what it is? And I'm sorry to your fan base in particular. If I have to watch Rafa play Federer on clay ever again, I will gouge out my eyeballs. Like, you know exactly. Like, wait, Rafa's gonna take this backhand, elevated up the line? No way. It's just like I, that match, like Nadal joke bitch on clay. Mwah but I can't watch Federer, Nadal, and Clay again.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, uh, predictability is is definitely not something we want in entertainment value for rivalry, so uh, I feel that. We haven't seen it since that wind match in 2019 where Nadal played incredible and obliterated him, so uh, fair, fair. Uh, let's reassess Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, who all who all went out early in Indian Wells. And I, wanted, I want to pull up the ATP race right now uh, because I think it's it's pretty interesting from the perspective of these guys. You obviously have Medvedev, Australian Open finalist. He's at number two. Then you have Tsitsipas at number six, and you probably want to be higher than that. Then you have Zverev at 18 in the race right now. They're all in at Miami, all three of them. So I feel like we're getting, you know, uh, again, a, kind of a, a chance to reassess where where those three are at. And I guess, you know, is Medvedev running away with this right now? Or uh, where are you at with, with Zverev and Tsitsipas who have had some struggles already in 2022 where, you know, without Djokovic in the picture at, at the very least, and now we're going to see without Nadal in the picture for a little bit, they were expected to kind of become the dominant Threesome, and I think it's fair to say they haven't quite been that.
1: Yeah, no, um, I have some numbers prepared for you uh, on this subject because I knew this was one we were going to hit. And I think the metrics right now are fascinating on all of these players because you mentioned the rankings. Again, I want to turn to our friends at Tennis Abstract their ELO ratings, which are. A result-based formula, it's who you beat, how you beat them, much less so than where and when you beat them, like the ATP ranking system is. Therefore, you know, in the ATP ranking system, a semi-final win is always going to be valued more than a quarterfinal win, regardless of who the opponent is. In tennis abstracts, ELO ratings, the opponent matters. You look in the overall ELO ratings right now. Medvedev 2, Zverev 3, Elkaraz 5, which is just mwah, delicious. Tsitsipas is at number 9 overall you look at the yearly ELO ratings, which measures just their 2022 results. Medvedev right now, number seven, Tsitsipas number 12, Alex Virev number 16. I think I would lean more towards those yearly ELO ratings right now in terms of how the guys have played overall. Now, again, three out of five sets on hard courts. It's a different story. Medvedev has built that benefit of the doubt. Uh, I would argue most of the time Zverev has at well at the slams, the Australian Open being the exception that loss to Shapovalov. I mean, Shapovalov just took it to him there. And that's why he's as low as he is right now in the yearly ELO ratings. And yet, when you look at the stats leaderboard, and again, top 10, 15, 2025 20, club, who are ranking in both top 10, et cetera, in both hold and break percentage right now, how frequently they're holding serve and breaking serve. By the way, before I get into this, are you at the point of the season now? And I know you're always just 2022, 2021. Have you abandoned last 52 weeks now on the stats leaderboard? Are you looking at just 2022?
0: Um I'm looking at usually both, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking a lot at just 2022.
1: Well, I'm glad you say you look at both because I have the stats leaderboards for both the last 52 weeks and here this season. Top 10 club over the last 52 weeks makes a lot of sense. Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev, and Ruud, who cleaned up on everyone at the 250 level. As yep. such, his stats are going to look ridiculous. That group makes sense. Only one player ranks top 10 in both hold and break percentage in the last 52 weeks. Can you guess that player, Gil? Uh, Excuse me. Not in the last 52 weeks, in 2022.
0: 2022?
1: Just one player top 10 in both hold and break percentage.
0: I almost think since we're talking, I mean, out of the three, it would be Medvedev.
1: It's Zverev. Zverev is top 10 right now in hold and break percentage, which again, I test-wise... I mean, his win over Brooksby in Mexico was like a really good match here, which is a really weird match. And I know that gets clouded, obviously, by what happened in the doubles and his subsequent suspension. Then he loses at Indian Wells. But the numbers are saying that Alex Zverev has not played that poorly to start the season, which to me was just fascinating to note. You look beyond that. Again, here in 2022, Zverev's your only top 10 club member. Top 15, Rafa Nadal. Andre Rublev that it makes sense given Andre Rublev swept the Middle East swing top 20 club Medvedev sinner Taylor Fritz which again I test wise makes sense you're Indian Wells champion Gael Monfiz, who has been very very good over the past six months and Miomir Kecmanovic, who has been one of the breakout stars here early in the season when you get to the top 25 level You add Carlos Alcaraz, and for him, it's the holding serve, not the breaking serve, where he's top three right now in break percentage. Brooksby, then you get Bautista Gute, Carreno Busta, which makes sense because they are your veterans right now. They're your 28 to 31-year-olds who are still good. And then Dan Evans gets thrown in the mix, which to me is a funny inclusion there in the top 25 club. I mean, yeah, like, the, the reason I bring all of that up is you ask me where all these guys rank right now, and to get back to your question, it's splitting hairs. Like The numbers say Zverev is still as good as he has always been, and I think if you've watched him in Miami, I mean, he looked excellent against Mackie McDonald. Played such a good match there. I thought he was in control against George, just kind of took his foot off the gas in that second set, but again, I think Zverev is as likely to win this tournament as anyone medvedev had two perfect opponents for him in murray and martinez to start the tournament he's playing great and now we get sitsipas alcaraz again like it's tough for Tsitsipas. that's a brutal draw for him right away and you know for Medvedev gets, I think, Brooksby next, right? And I think that's yeah, going to be that's really, be a good really one. fun. Yeah. Zverev gets Kokonakis. That's a match he should cruise in, particularly given the physical nature of the matches Kokonakis has played to, you know, three-set thrillers.
0: Up a break 3-2 as we speak.
1: Yeah, I, I, uh, Zverev is? Yes. And so, yeah, I think Zverev is, the, just by the draw, he's probably the guy with the easiest path to the final. At the same time... I think they've all looked pretty good this week in Miami. Like this is the best week for all of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think Tsitsipas and, and Zverev have, yeah, I, I agree. They've all looked great. All three of them. Um, yeah, there I was think... a lot there.
1: Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: With uh, with Zverev, you know, it's been the nature of the losses. His second serve gets abused against Tommy Paul. He wins 34% of points behind his second serve. Against Bublik, it was a super flat performance energy wise, and Bublik is not a player who has pulled off uh, wins like that in his career. He hasn't shown to be dangerous okay, against players like Okay, but did you like watch serve. that match?
1: Yeah, I thought Bublik was a, You might have been on the call for it. I thought Bublik was sensational in and just that entire tournament. Just uh, he was locked in in a way. I mean, again, when he and Kyrios, I, I think the parallels between them, are obviously with the big serves, are so obvious, the flair that they have. But Bublik was locked in in a way in that match where he was like, you know what, I'm going to beat Zverev today. And I'm going to get in his head with the second serve thing. And I think with Zverev, that's just the biggest issue. Is it just yeah. continues to persist. In every match he loses, it's because the second serve abandoned him. And it's like, all right, now it's seven years in a row, the book is out.
0: Yeah, these were passive performances. Like, I, I yeah. thought he was defending too much against Bublik. And, but, yeah, Bublik was on the money for sure. Shapovalov, same thing. I mean, Dennis played great, but Zverev just was very, very, very in passive. The yeah, yeah very, very, ten. yeah. So, it's just, and he said this in Miami, he feels like he needs to go after it more, and now he is. And it's kind of like, well, what what's going on here? Like, why do we keep doing this uh, where you're forgetting how you need to play? on a consistent basis and then remembering, re-remembering again, how you need to play. It's like, you know, who's not having that problem? Taylor Fritz. Talk about someone who knows how he needs to play every time he takes the court right now. I, I mean, it's like, stop losing your identity. It's really kind of inexplicable.
1: Is is forgetting the second serve and what to do on those points, a top three issue for Alex Virov right now? Like you think about all the issues he has, maybe that's why he forgets. He's like, well, I just smashed a racket, like suspended <laughs> again, all these different things. It's like he loses track with all the issues. No, I mean, your point about Fritz, I mean, talk about a guy who's just in control right now. And I continue to stand by my theory. The ankle injury was a fabricated Netflix storyline, because if you watched him yesterday against Tommy Paul, I mean, the guy just, he's on another level physically this season. He is just getting to balls that, before the knee injury at the French open, he was not getting to. And again, this guy injures himself. We can, we need his stem cells, whatever it is, because he comes back better and better after each time. And it's just, if he gets his racket on the ball, if if he can hit the ball cleanly, there's going to be depth on it. And if he's able to set his feet, like you're screwed because I'm, I'm telling you in his body language, He laughs now when players try to up the pace in a neutral rally. He's like, oh, that's cute. Watch what I can do. And he just blasts the ball down the line. Like, you know, ball striking is such a mythical concept. You're not going to find someone who strikes a better ball than Taylor Fritz.
0: He is playing the best power, pure power baseline tennis in the world right now. And you look at some of the, you know, the competition in that category, if we're doing it Oscar style, Best power baseline tennis goes to and your nominees would be a guy like Rublev, maybe a guy like Felix. um,
1: How about your best impression of a Juan Martin Del Potro? Like nominations, Taylor Fritz right now, just blasting everything on the forehand.
0: Yeah, he he is. And the the miles per hour averages are up massive from last year. They're up in, you know, the Basilashvili Berrettini range. Uh He feels pretty consistent. Like it never feels out of control with him. The question is now at this point in the season, is he going to be in Turin at the end of the year? Are we looking at a top eight season for Taylor Fritz? And I think that is going to be the best question you can ask about his season right now. I think that's where the bar has been set.
1: I'm going to go one further than that. He needs to make the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. I think the two are interlinked because I think to be top eight, you have to make a grand slam quarterfinal. There's just going to be too many guys. I mean, we're booking spots, right? Medvedev will be there. I think despite all of his struggles, we would still all believe Zverev would be there. I think Nadal may have already clinched a spot just given his start to the season, but you know, he'll be there. If Djokovic isn't playing a spot opens up for everyone and it's just, yeah, much like last year, it's going to be a really fun race because you know, Hubie hercott's has quietly been fine in the sunshine, 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 sh- sunshine, sh- sh- <laughs> sunshine swing. Leave that in. Um, in the sunshine swing, and I think Nori's still been really, really solid. He'll be in the mix. Certainly, you feel like Sinner, Alcaraz, their head is through the door. Felix, with his start to the season in Australia, keeps himself in play. Yeah, it's a question of. I mean, I would. It's a question of how he does in the clay court season. That's really what it does come down to because I think he should make a quarterfinal at Wimbledon with his serve, his return, and just how easy easy it is for him to generate pace. He's always had success on the grass courts. I think Wimbledon should be a slam that he does well at. I think New York should be a slam he does well at. If he can just be a top 30 guy, like the key is no first round losses. If you can win all of your first round matches during the clay court season, make a third round at the French open, then sure. Why not? That keeps it in play, but I would, if the betting man in me would say, no, he will not make Tareen, but what a question.
0: I'm curious to see if he goes away completely in the clay court season. I will say though, I think, I think there's <clears throat> enough evidence to suggest. And I think Hubert Hercott showed us this last year, right? You don't have to have results on the yeah. clay to make the top eight, just the way that the schedule goes. But uh, I agree that that's a big question uh i'm um i'm definitely i've been made into a believer we have seen them now succeed on both the the quicker version of hard courts and the slower version of hard courts so um yeah the the stock is is very high right now
1: can i ask you a question about the american men and i know I, yeah when you came on our mini break podcast which you can find on crack or wherever you listen to your podcast i asked you this question you look right now at the latest edition of the live rankings If you're an American men's tennis fan, I mean, how can you be anything but ecstatic? And I apologize. I'm looking down because I want to get this right. Top 40 Americans right now. Taylor Fritz at 12 in the live rankings. Opelka at 18. Isner 27. Tiafoe 29. Tommy Paul 34. Brooksby 36. 36. Quarter 41, you've got Mackie McDonald at 51, Girona at 52. Point being, right now, you've got, I believe the number is six Americans inside the top 40 with Sebastian Korda right there at number 41. I think four and a half is number. I think the over-under is five and a half. Uh, I'll say four and a half because I think, well, you tell me, over-under four and a half or five and a half American men seated at New York. What should be the standard?
0: I think... Four and a half, especially because you got to think that you know someone gets injured, like something, ha- right? Yeah. And uh,
1: Riley's got a lot of point. Like he's been excellent to start the season, but he's got two Masters, a like, major one thousand level events: the semifinal on the clay, the final, obviously in Canada. He's got to defend coming up.
0: Yeah, uh, although he also has a lot of first round exits that a he ton can of back them, too. up. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, he just had, you know, last year was not consistent at all. And he's just kind of, you can brush it away because he had enough big runs to keep his ranking good, but it wasn't consistent. But yeah, you're looking at potentially really three spots away or four spots away from nine Americans in the in top 50 in the race, yeah. uh, which is, uh, if you're great at math, almost one in five players.
1: Yeah, well, I think like one of Tommy and Francis is seated. I think Taylor and Riley sure things isner wins Atlanta. He's there. Um you get one of Taylor or France, or Tommy or Francis for sure. I also think you get one of Brooksby or quarter for sure. Because Brooksby's got nothing I expect Brooksby. to defend in the clay
0: yeah. court, so. I really expect Brooksby to yeah. to be top 30 by by New York. I'd be surprised if he isn't. I know we kind of hinted at this uh center Alcaraz thing, but you know, we're going to again uh, playing the hits again to another one of our classics for those. Uh, who are in the international audience who may not know, there's this uh, a show called First Take. And it, there, it used to be Skip and Stephen A. And Stephen A. hates the Cowboys and Skip is a Cowboys fan. And that's like the bread and butter that they'd always go to. And for, uh, for Gruskin and I, it's uh, we decided that it was going to be Center versus Alcaraz. <laughs> but I have to now... Ask you like is this still the plan? Like, are you really going to go down this road and take Team Sinner against Carlos Alcaraz? Because I mean, look, right now at this moment, it's looking a little bleak. Right now, now it hasn't been very long. You know, no. it's just the start of the season. But what do you think? I
1: can. I consulted my rabbi. We sat in the mikvah. We sweated out. We had this discussion at length, and. I mean, true believers never give up the faith, right? You always have to stay true. And the problem is when a guy looks that good sleeveless and can pull it off and he's 18 years old and... Ariel Fernandez, at, or I forget what the Twitter account is called, is tweeting out every week like, hey, Alcaraz is one of the six youngest players to do this or one of the four youngest players to do bad. And, you know, respectfully, Sinner's not on those lists. It's always Nadal and Djokovic and Del Potro. And every so often Sinner and a Felix appear. It's really, really hard. I'll say this i will never take a negative carlos stand i think what i'm going to do moving forward is going to say everything you say is accurate but here's why i'm still high on sinner and i will say this i think there's a natural flair for the dramatic a na- an ease with which carlos Alvarez can do something ridiculous on court and then embrace the crowd embracing his ridiculousness in a way that it's been a little bit more manufactured for sinner But if you watched his third set win 7-5 in the third over Carino Busta in Miami, I have never seen a crowd get after it for Yannick Sinner the way that crowd got after it for Yannick Sinner. And what was it? Five match points he fought off. And the only one that I think two of them uh, Carino Busta regrets, he missed a second serve return early on. He also had a point where he set up a backhand line and he missed that backhand line. He missed it just wide. And I think he makes that backhand seven out of 10 times. That miss happens. It was a great miss, but that's the ball he wants back. Other than that.
0: He sailed a forehand, I think, as well.
1: Yeah, but uh, but that was like a neutral. Yeah, you're right. He probably wants that one back as well. But point being that, you know, Sinner, I've, I've never seen Sinner go like tentative and neutral and just grind mode. And like, I him not losing you have to hit me off the court and the best was when he was down three five he goes no, 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 like what am I doing and he breaks it love for four five and then you know again fights off the match points while serving and just yep. I still he just hasn't been healthy like that's been the real issue for him this season and I still think there's a routine nature with which he gets results now like he's into round of 16's quarters and we just for some reason don't celebrate it the way that we do with Alcaraz um, my position will continue to be we're just all happy with the shiny new toy. But don't forget about the other toy that's still pretty new and pretty damn shiny. <laughs> kind of
0: uh, okay, that's fair. I talked about this at the top. Sinner's toughness. I mean, the yes. last three wins, even against Bonzi at Indian Wells before he pulled out, these are tough, gritty wins that. Rus- that you we know, talked people about could... the
1: Kesmanovich draw. Rusivori, I would argue, is top four. That's a terrible draw. Right now, as well.
0: Yeah, yep, that's a terrible draw as well. Um, and by the way, you know, we talk about oh, like 2022 hasn't gone the right way for Yannick Center. I got a mailbag question. I didn't uh I didn't answer it, but uh I got one that was like, can can we talk about center stagnation? And it's like, do you know what his win loss record is in <laughs> matches that have finished this year? Yeah. You want to take what? a stab? I'm it's gonna like,
1: say 14 and six.
0: It's 15 and two.
1: Yeah, that's ridiculous. Okay. I
0: mean, it's like because you know he, he yeah. exits Indian Wells, doesn't, doesn't play the okay. match against Kyrios. His other losses, it's to uh, Titi in Australia, where in fairness he did get blown off the court pretty much, and then uh Herkotsch in yeah. on indoors somewhere. Rotterdam, probably, I think or something. Rotterdam, probably yeah. Rotterdam. Yeah. So yeah, I mean he's been good. It's uh 15
1: and two is he's 15 and two. Yeah, I know. No. Uh, okay. I'm staking my camp. No. So then to your, my answer to you is no, I, I'm still going to stay team center. The power he can generate with ease. he's getting more comfortable ripping through the backhand cross court, which is when you really know you're a power player. We talked about Fritz earlier and the confidence he has when Fritz, when you leave Fritz, a sitter on the backhand wing, not only can he rip line now, but he can rip cross and hit a ball through you that you can't track down. Sinner can do that as well. He's, he's more fluid in the outer thirds every time I see him play. I think there is another jump for him physically that's going to come, and I actually think he's got the fluidity that I did not see early in his career. I mean, Alcarez is a joke. Like, you pencil in sure things, and I know you never want to put that pressure on someone, but he's a sure thing. Um, I still feel the same way, though, about Yannick Sinner. So, yes, I'm, I'm holding firm.
0: Yeah, Sinner, I mean, I, I, I have some critiques for sure, but I do want to say he is serving bigger this year, and everyone should take notice of that. The ace rate is up. That's something I didn't mention at the top of the show that I should have. Uh, He's serving twice as many aces on average than he was two years ago in 2020, and it's obviously up from last year as well.
1: Here's my argument. Yannick Sinner, top 20 club in 2022, top 20 club over the last 52 weeks at Carlos Alcaraz, top 25 club in 2022, not in the top 25 and hold percentage over the last 52 weeks. So the numbers say Sinner's better. I'm gonna hold on to that. Give me those numbers.
0: Okay, I mean, you know, the numbers that that matter a little bit more. I would say are. Okay.
1: I think he's the Verstappen of the group. You know, it was coming. I that's think right. that's actually the path box, for box, Sinner. box. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the way for him to go here. I think just be the, embrace the role of the villain, um, and just kind of be the, the, uh, yeah, I, humble's the wrong word, but be the quiet but deadly sort of guy.
0: Yeah, I think he's trying. I mean, we see that. He's clearly trying, though, sure. to get people behind him. It's been a big change since the Tiafo match last fall, where I think he he criticized Francis's on court behavior. And then I think someone got in his ear and was like, No, how about you do that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. You can tell it's been a shift.
0: Yeah, we're gonna we're about to learn a lot, I think, um, in Miami as a lot of the players we've talked about you know your Zverev Titschパス Medvedev trying to come off the poor Indian wells now they you know they have some besides Zverev up now 5-3 on Kakanakis. we we're getting Titschパス Alcaraz we're getting Medvedev Brooksby we're about to learn a lot it's going to be exciting uh looking forward to it uh Gruskin anything you want to promote before we wrap it up
1: mini break Great Shot Podcast, Correct Interviews Podcast, all available on the website, correctrackets.com. If you'd like to see some outstanding tennis because things slow down on the Sunshine Swing Weekend, college tennis for you fridays sundays you can find the friday sec coverage on all of the team websites sunday big 10 coverage on our crack rackets youtube channel obviously hopefully we'll be able to work your dulcet tones into the mix at some point as well and again i know you and i are going to get together on the mini break podcast to do a first third award show at some point next week always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you between now and then
0: thank you sir it's fun.